श्रीला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री जगन्नाथपुरी धाम की जय गौर भक्त ग्रंथ की जय गौर प्रमान हरि हरि गो सो प्रणाम फॉल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम श्री क्षेत्र जगन्नाथपुरी धाम थैंक यू सो मच टू जय जगन्नाथ प्रभु एंड हरिश्याम प्रभु एंड ऑल दिस एक्सटेंडेड इन्विटेशन फॉर मी टू शेयर सम वर्ड्स ट्राइंग टू इम्बोक सम हरिकथा इन द कॉन्टेक्स ऑफ वेरी टॉपिक दैट आई पर्सनली कंसिडर एंड वेरी क्लोज टू माई हार्ट एंड वेरी क्रूशल टू स्पीक अबाउट ए होल यूनिक कैटेगरी ऑफ हरिकथा रिसेंटली वी वर स्पीकिंग अबाउट हरिकथा इन सम लेक्चर्स एंड द डिफरेंट टाइप्स ऑफ हरिकथा सो आई वोट वन of these types of harikatha crucial for most of us is to speak about how to integrate our participation in the ragamark in the context of remaining humans if you will <laughs> in the context of comprehensively addressing our so called if you will material needs that's mostly the title of today's talk cultivating the ragamark while authentically addressing our material needs and of course if that's authentic i don't know how much of, of material stuff remains there but we will speak about that so it's a great title for sure so i appreciate the invitation to to expose on that and to begin with for me the title implies two things because it speaks about two things cultivating the ragamar and addressing our material needs so two implications immediate implication will be like if we address our material needs without cultivating the ragamar that will be an an unhealthy option basically that will be just basically reduce reduce to material life everyone is doing that everyone is addressing their material needs without cultivating the ragamar basically <laughs> so we are we as sadhakas are, are not expected to do so but another unhealthy option and it will be this the other side of the coin will be to cultivate the ragamark as we are supposed to do but without addressing our material needs or our human nature i will say and that could be equally unhealthy and that could be even take the form of some form of sahajism if you will i want only the ragamark but i don't want to deal with the complexities of being a human without understanding how much as we will see today how much is important to be a human in order to thread the ragamar mm-hmm. so if we just try to make a quantum leap into the lands of the ragamar <laughs> without sincerely addressing our human sensibilities that may create a whole bunch of dysfunctionalities totally unbecoming for the representative of of the gaudiya sampradaya so Today I will try to unpack a little bit these two uh, implications of the title of the lecture. Mm-hmm. What does it imply to thread the ragamark and what does it imply to remain human in the context of threading the ragamark? So I've already spoken as I mentioned it's a very dear topic to me so I've spoken about this many times I made whole series of lectures some months ago 
one of them studying the prayers of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur to Nisrimhadev in his Navadvi Bhavataranga in the context of the Raga Mark, which is a very interesting section. And also I remember last Kartik we were dealing with the theological implications of the Dhamadar Lila and, and the conception of divine imperfect, how these two apparently opposites actually fit very nicely together in the context of Braj and the Nara Lila. So, <clears throat> basically we will be speaking a little bit, I will try to share some snapshot in connection to that, not dealing how to deal with all the things that make us human, necessities, frailties, and so on, but in the context of praying to the Divine for entrance into the Raghavakti for further access there. So, let's begin with Raghavakti, which are the implications of Raghavakti. Of course, it will be a brief discussion summary because this may take, this needs to take quite a long time and it's worthy of investing the time in that connection. So to begin with, as we were speaking some weeks ago with Jai Jagannath Prabhu, it's important to make the point that our line, our lineage is Ragamarg, just in case. Because I've heard that some devotees uh, think otherwise, think that it is an option, but we may be Gaudiya Vaishnavs and be threatened by the mark, or basically some others who even will think our lineage, especially after someone like Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta and his successor followers, our lineage is actually Bhaiti Bhakti. And Raga Bhakti is for those on the shores of Radha Kunda engaging in Lila Shmarna and so on. And, and this is not, it is not like that. Hmm. So it's important to understand what Mahaprabhu came to give to the world is in the context of the Raga Mar. He says, Krishna Dakavrash Goswami is saying, Premarasa Niriyasa Kurite Ashvadam Raga Marga Bhakti Loki Kurite Prachanam. Which means the inner agenda of Mahaprabhu was to taste. Radha Bhavas, we know. Hmm? Premaras. And as, out, as an outcome of that, as an overflowing of his own inner experience, Raga Marga Bhakti Loke Kuriti Pracharam. He came to disseminate Raga Marga Bhakti in the whole world, to do prachar of Raga Marga Bhakti. Hmm? So that's very clearly established. That's the lineage we belong to. So therefore, there is a corresponding sadhana, as Rupa Goswami described, Raga Nuga Sadhana. Hmm? And that particular sadhana has as its objective to follow in the footsteps of the ragatmikas. That's the very definition of raganuga. Raganuga means following after the, the, the ones who are made of raga. Ragatmikas do not have raga. They are made of raga. They are embodiments of that. And to follow in the footsteps of the Ragadmikas or the eternal associates of Krishna in Vrindavan, such as Nanda, Jasoda, Manumangal, Lalita, Rupa, Manjari, and so on, basically all that implies to aspire to entrance into the land of Raj, which at the same time implies the concept of Nara Lila, human-like Lila, if you will, which is considered by our Acharyas the ultimate supreme Lila, Krishna Raya Tikkakila, Sarvotama Naralila, Narabapu Tanhara Sarup, Gopa Visha Vinukar, Navakishur, Natavar, Naralila, Hai Anurup, says Krishna Das Kaviraj. This Krishna Lila is the topmost of all Lilas. When Bhagavan is appearing, his original form, the Supreme Personality of God, if you will. And he appears how there? Gopa Vish, Venukar, Navakishur, 
Nathavar. His dress as a cowherd, flute in hand, eternally youthful, and the best of dancers. Nara Lila Hoyanurup. Oh, Krishna Kabra said this Nara Lila is totally astonishing. And of course, Nara Lila is not limited to the land of Raj. We find some type of Nara Lila in Ajodhya. We find some type of Lila, Nara Lila in, in Mathura and Dwarka. But the fullest expression of Nara Lila, the full Naratva, if you will, of humanness, degree of humanity in the context of divinity is found in the land of Vrindavan. And of course, we can make a parallel not only with Golok Raj, but with Golok Navadvip, which is an extension of Vrindavan, as we know, the eternal land of Sriman Mahaprabhu. So, Naralila is generally translated as human-like. I really like that expression. Srila Prabhupada is the one who really gives us this particular term, if I'm not mistaken. So, it's not only human-lila, but human-like. So, both words here are crucial. Human, but like as well. If you don't place proper emphasis in the two of them, we, we may be misled. So human, we know what does it mean. But like means not necessarily only human, but there is a backdrop of divinity which makes this to be lila, to be really divine play. So how does it play it out? Which is this, the DNA or the psyche of the Brajavasis? There is a nice verse in the Bhagavatam which Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur defines as the Paribhas Sutra of the whole Krishna Lila. So we have the Paribhas Sutra of the Bhagavatam. There is one verse that is the, 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 book, the one that basically encapsulates what the, the Braja Lila is about. Krishna Lila and ultimate Braja Lila. Traya Chupanishad Discha Sankhya Yoga Chasatvataya Upagiya Manamahatmyam Harinsamanya Tatmajam. This verse describes the Vatsalya Prem of Jashodamai and says, all in all the Upanishads and sacred sections such, such as uh, Sankhya and other texts of Yoga and different books of wisdom, Krishna is described as the Absolute, as the Godhead. But for Yashoda, Harim Samanya Tatmajam, he is her son. So that's the psychology of Vrindavan. Everyone else is thinking Krishna is God, you go to Vrindavan and nobody is thinking Krishna is God. But they have Krishna more than anyone else closer to them. If you say to just so that Krishna is not God, the Upanishads, Krishna is God, the Upanishads say so, they will, she will say, I mean, he's my son, and I have him in my lap. And as we know, the Upanishads are hankering to get Krishna. So, whose opinion has the greatest weight, I will say. <laughs> so this is the type of standard we find in Vrindavan. Krishna is only existing there to reciprocate with the love and desire of the Brajavasis. That's his only business there. He's absorbed into reciprocation in the context of, of, of Brajabhav. The, 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 the wishes of the Brajavasis become his. He only lives for that. And whatever expressions of love the Brajavasis will express toward Krishna, Krishna will profess, express those same expressions of love to them. That's perfectly reciprocal. So in Vrindavan we no longer know who is the Supreme Lord and who is the servant. Because as, as the Brajavas will express lovingly toward Krishna, Krishna will reciprocate accordingly. So for example, in the context of this verse that mainly portrays the Damodar Lila, which is a very human-like one, we see a famous Damodar Lila, uh, which we are about to 
enter into more specifically in Kartik, goes like in crescendo with a whole series of proposals, more and more human-like, more and more, if you will, imperfect, if you will. God as a son, God which is generally known as the all-peaceful, being naughty, being agitated, being a thief, God eventually being scared from Yashoda. And we know all these are the arguments that someone like Nanda Maharaj will tell to someone like Uddhav, when Uddhav tries to convince them, your son is God, you are so fortunate. And he says, no, 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 <laughs> I know how God is. He's peaceful, he's serious, he has all these qualities, he's Shanti Purusha, and I know Krishna from tip to toe. He's not, he lies, he steals, he's disturbed by so many desires, and so he cannot be God, basically. That's his converging point, his Siddhanta. And finally, of course, in the Dhammara Lila, we find this very powerful symbol of God being tied. The absolute, the unmeasurable tied. So only a glimpse in Bhatsali above gives us a very clear idea of what this Nara Lila is about. What to speak, entering to the realm of Madhurya Bhav and Krishna being their Lampatamani or the crest jewel of all womanizers and playboys and so on. All this is called Aprakrita. Aprakrita means it seems prakrita, it seems ordinary, but it's supra-transcendental. So, of course, we, require to, we have to pay close attention to understand what's going on here. So, to not misunderstand the aprakrita lila of Braj, I will say two things are important in this connection. One, of course, to understand the backdrop, the background of Aishvarya that is present there in the land of Madhurya, in Braj, as Vishwanath uh, describes Vipanath Chakravarti in his Raghavarma Chandrika when he speaks about Sarvaknyata, Muktata. We won't enter into that detail now. But the point is, in Vrindavan there is more, more Aishvarya, even more than in Vaikuntha. But all the Aishvarya of Vrindavan is totally buried under layers and layers of intimacy, of Madhuri. So that's one point for us to not misunderstand Brajalila. But another point is to allow ourselves as sadakas to experience, to go through a certain type of, if you will, imperfection or those symptoms that are quite connected with the idea of being human hmm, as a sadhakas. So in some way we are given the chance hmm, to the perfect imperfection of the Nara Lila to come to our lives, hmm, basically. So this is not addressed in detail in Raghavarma Chandrika, we are trying to address that here on some degree or another. So. So the point is, before we are right to the divine imperfection of Krishna Lila, we have to go through the imperfection of the Shristi Lila, if you will, of our experience on earth as human, as Sarkas. Because again, our Istadev in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, Raga Nuga of Sarkas, is Krishna in Braj, and such an Istadev is connected with lots of fragility, lots of vulnerability, I would say, and we are to connect that humanity, I mean, we are to connect with that divine humanity, if you will. Mm. And this is really very nicely portrayed in the Bhagavatam, Accord not only limited, as I mentioned, to the Vatsalya Bhav, but these three main, quote-unquote, ordinary centers of the Bhagavatam, ordinary in the sense of Aprakrita, human-like, mm. with increasing Chamatkar, with increasing astonishment. Damodar Lila, again, God being tied and chastised, or Vatsali Lila, if you will, then Brahma Vimohan Lila connected more to Sakya, where God is doing picnic, if you will, generally not the typical portrayal of God. And in the context of that, playing with his friends and eating lunch and being defeated in wrestling and so on, that has to do with Sakya. 
and then if you want to add furthermore uh, masala, if you will, furthermore chamatkar, astonishment, you have madura lila, rasa lila, mm, godase, lampata as a playboy, or receiving bullying from the manjaris when he's not behaving properly, and so on. <laughs> so in conclusion, in the context of Raga Bhakti, we are worshipping in the context of Nara Lila, of all that Krishna represents in Braj, we are worshipping what we may call a flawed absolute. One Srila Bhakti Goswami said in this connection that Krishna is hiding behind a tangle of imperfections. No? He presents that filter to us in the Braj Lila in order to test our integrity, if you will, our appreciation, how Saragrahi we want to be, basically. But this Krishna Lila, again, for us, Gaudias, is the ultimate extension, the ultimate expression of divinity, because also it's the ultimate extension of divinity to humanity, the furthest extension from divinity to humanity, allowing us humans to create an emotional bond with the Absolute, which is not overwhelming in terms of reverence and distance, but creates further, fosters intimacy through the dynamics, again, of Nara Lila. So the point is here, to allow our own humanity, now, here, is crucial in the project, in this Raga Nuga project, because we need to identify gradually with the mood of the Lila, with the humanity present in the Lila, and with the necessity that is present in Bhagavan, in that particular Lila. Because a spiritual identity, basically, is the result of ourself identifying with certain specific necessities that are present in Bhagavan in a particular Lila. The more I identify with those necessities in the context of Seva, the more a particular identity corresponding with that necessity will come as a result of that. So if we want to enter that particular Lila, we need to develop human sensibilities, allow human sensibilities to happen. And especially, again, for us Gaudias, this is especially the case because we are worshipping such a needy form of the Absolute, if you will, such a human-like form of the Absolute. Not neediness because of existential void, but neediness because of love. Love creates its own sense of necessity, such in the case of Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu is even in a, in a greatest necessity than Krishna Braj. <laughs> but that's another chapter, so we, we don't have time to enter into that detail now. <laughs> but Gaur Lila re really represents the most vulnerable face of the Absolute, but paradoxically the most volcanic one at the same time. So, <clears throat> going back for a minute to Raga Bhakti and then turning to our human project, when I mention Raga Bhakti, I like to speak, describe it in terms of the path of specificity. Mm -hmm. Because it's really specific, really punctual. Sometimes when I ask the devotees, which is the goal of life for us? And they will say, love of God. And, and of course they reply, yes, but still is a, a generic level of answer, an abstract thing. Which type of love for which type of God? Some will say, okay, make prema for Krishna. So which type of prema for which type of Krishna? We have Krishna in Mathura, we have Krishna in Dwarka and Vrindavan. One say, but prema from Krishna and Vrindavan, which type of prema for Krishna and Vrindavan? Someone may say, Madhurya, whatever. And someone say, well, which type of Madhurya? So, Kiya, Parakiya. <laughs> someone say, Parakiya, which type of Parakiya? Tattadvavichatmika, or Sambhogichatmika. Some will say, oh, Tattadvavichatmika. Which type of prem there? Under the guidance of which group leader? And so on. My point is, 
from a very general idea we can go and go and go into more specifics hmm? so and unless we know what do we want for eternity in detail in a, with, with lots of fervor we won't attain that because we were not pointing with that specificity so gradually our practice should be informed in that direction so in the same way as we need to be specific in terms of our ultimate ideal to attain also we need to be very specific about where we are now these two points are crucial where do we want to go where we are like when you have the GPS you have to establish first I, where I want to go what's my destiny but then you have to put where I am and eventually the whole path manifests you have to go here and there so similarly eventually we have to know the details of our ultimate goal but also the details of where we are now to be specific about detecting our human necessities in a, in a specific situation we may be now mm -hmm. because again for uh, sometimes this idea came to me once that as humans it's difficult for us to visualize our divine side proportional to how much it's difficult to us to visualize the human life in, the, hum, the human side in connection to the divinity mm -hmm. so these two things go hand by hand how much we can glimpse at our potential for divinity, how much we can glimpse at the potential in the absolute for humanity. So the place for humanity in our life has to be such that it puts in context our spirituality, I would say. And the role of spirituality in our life has to be such that it will put in context our humanity. <laughs> so the two of them have to be properly married together, integrated. That's what we call again Nara Lila. That's what will give us entrance there. So, <clears throat> this is a brief introduction to the whole idea of what's Ragamark about and what's the goal of the Ragamark and Rajalila and the Nara Lila. And of course, the second part of the exposition has to do with addressing our material needs in the context of this Raga Sadhana. So I would like to share some brief words before finishing. So, of course, to begin with, we spoke the other day, also with Jai Jagannath Nath, there are levels of Raga Sadhana, there are levels of Loba, I won't enter into the detail now, but again, we need to know in which level we are, in which stage we are in, maybe we may realize my Loba, my greed at present is more directed towards the Shristi Lila than with the Braja Lila, if you will, that when the ultimate goal, and I have to address that in the context of the descent that came to my life. And to be honest, in this connection, I must confess that for me there is nothing more unbecoming or something that is, there is nothing like this as a vibhatsa udipana or a stimulant for disgust that in the name of the highest ideal that the Gaudiya Sampradaya represents, that someone may present these most refined theological conceptions while at the same time being totally dysfunctional on a human level. There, there's little things that are more disgusting for me uh, and that represent the Sampraday in the worst possible way. So it's possible that it can happen with such a high ideal. We can engage in spiritual bypassing, we can abuse the integrity of the ideal. As I said the other day, the name of practicing a spiritual life may be the best excuse not to practice spiritual life. Uh, we may be mediocre, mediocre sorry, while attached to, I don't know, too high theoretical, theological level as an evasive device. Hmm? Only Raghavakti, Rasa and all this discourse but no humanity whatsoever. Or becoming attached to a socio-religious status 
in the context of the practice, but not becoming real transcendentalists, real mystics, real participants in the Raga Marga tradition. Only humanity, but no Raga Marga, again. So, to advance in this context, integrating the two, we recognize where we are, as I mentioned, where we want to go, and um, probably where we are is where we are. It's here, humanity. <laughs> so first, I will say we, we shouldn't try to become, uh, how to say, devotional superheroes, as some may try, with good intention maybe, but first we should try to become devotional human beings. Mm? So, in other words, we have, we have to try to become a good devotee, not a great devotee. Mm? <laughs> we have to be satan, as the Bhagavatans say, no? authentic, not superhuman, basically. Our goal is not superhuman, but Nara Lila. <clears throat> so go into the, 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 the specifics of, of, of our particular present situation in humanity. For example, a devotee, any given devotee may have a particular, I don't know, especially in the times we are living now, some trauma that needs the best for harmonizing therapy, professional therapy. And again, the reply has not to be just Prabhu, as the other day someone told me. In the Gita, there is all psychology you need. Or just chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Everything is, everything is there. Yeah, everything is there, but how much capacity do we have to extract it? So, and some may say, but what does it have to do to go to therapy with Raga Bhakti? But for that particular devotee, that may be the best possible thing he or she may do for eventually entering in a wholesome and substantial way in the Raga Mark. That person may need first to become a more integrated human being so ultimately that person can properly grasp the perfect humanity that is found in the Brajalila. Hmm? So it's important, again, if we are going to the psychologist because we need that, we will do that in the service of our ultimate grasping of the Brajalila. <laughs> and in that sense, these so-called relative practices can be seen as Raghavakti also, as, as assistance to Raghavakti. Of course, the central angas of Raghavakti are not going to the psychologist. <laughs> or Sravan, Kirtan, Smaran, in a particular way, what Jiva Goswami will call Swarup Siddha Bhakti, or devotional engagement that is intrinsically Bhakti, direct devotional engagement, but also he speaks about Sangha Siddha Bhakti, for example, which means doing any other thing that has the potential through to become Bhakti, by association with Bhakti, can also become Bhakti, like eating, sleeping, harmonizing our subtle body, and being a balanced human being in all that it implies. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, every all of these things can be connected with our ultimate aspiration. But of course, for we to have that capacity to connect everything with that, we have to also be properly engaged in the main angas of bhakti as well. We are not to neglect that. So again, this is not something to be rejected. This is to attend your humanity, it's not maya. Unfortunately, sometimes... Our human side is... I have heard that, I've seen the Buddhists thinking that this is an obstacle, no? to, to, to pay attention to that, to be human. That's something to be transcended. So be careful, because if you are very much concerned about transcending your humanity in every single way, you may end up somewhere else, but not in the Nara Lila. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we are to integrate everything. No? By proper integration, we will receive much more strength to thread our path. No? Perhaps some Buddhists always this nice example of, of the lion defeating an elephant and defeating the obstacle and feeding on the elephant. So the idea is that which now sits appearing as an obstacle even in the form of humanity 
if I deal properly with that, that has the potential to nourish my bhajan. And humanity is not exception to this rule, basically. So when we speak about transcending, and we speak a lot about transcending, I've been transcendentalist, but transcendence is not an evasive affair, basically. It's not indifference. It's not hard-heartened. We have too many sometimes in our community, too many, too many tiaga samskars, too many samskars for renunciation and conceiving Krishna consciousness as rejecting stuff, neti neti and so on. But transcendence is not about rejecting actually, it's actually about accepting. The Bhagavatam says, the person who can successfully thread the path of bhakti is nanirbhinonati sakto, bhakti yoga shasiddhita. You can only achieve perfection in bhakti, nanirbhinonati sakto. If you are not too much detached and if you are not too much attached, <laughs> you fall. Because if you are too much detached, you cannot deal with the sensory experience that sadhana bhakti implies and all that bhakti implies regarding engaging everything in seva. But if you are too much attached to see everything with you in the center, it will be difficult for you to put Krishna in the center. So the middle path, sometimes the most difficult one. <laughs> so transcendence again is not about rejection, but acceptance and integration. And it's not, it's not about stopping being human. Some, again, sometimes in the name of being transcendental, we can end up being inhuman, basically. So, sometimes devotees have this obsession, everything has to be overtly transcendental and superhuman, and, and, and the guru has to be a superhero, there is no tinge of humanity in them, and that's not necessarily a fact, I won't enter into the details of that now. But for example, now I'm reading these days Swalikita Jivani, the autobiography of Srila Bhaktinathakur, and then you find lots of ingredients of humanity that, they, that may be even disconcerting at times. But also that gives hope. That's charming in its own way. Hmm? There is sincerity in his prayers, in his expression, in his songs, in his books. For example, with Bamangala Thakur and his past life. No? Is Bill Bamangala less of a Siddha because of his background? Basically, these kind of things should inspire us. Hmm? So the point is, let's allow our, our humanity. Hmm? But also let's know what to do with that. <laughs> So, in the connection of what to do with that, for me comes the notion of Barnashram. But of course, a particular notion of Barnashram, because sometimes we have a quite stereotyped idea of this is Barnashram and we have to reestablish that in the world and different classes. But Barnashram, in a substantial way, of course, has to do with those models or, or, or patterns that we still find in humanity naturally. But how to, um, uh, how to address them in a contemporary way, if you will. My Guru Maharaj will like to speak in terms of horizontal development. We are to develop ourselves horizontally if we are to allow vertical development. Spiritual growth, but first we need to be properly established in the world, if you will. We have to be properly balanced on an occupational level, psychic level, emotional level, but at the same time, in such a way that that horizontal development is not a destruction, from our vertical development. In other words, the purpose of Barna Ashram is to nourish Bhakti. Barna Shrama Vibhagasya Sanastitasya Dharmasya Samsidhir Harito Oshanam says the Bhagavatam. The whole purpose of the Barna Ashram system is Samsidhir Harito Oshanam to give pleasure to Hari. That's a converging point. So it's interesting because when, for example, Mahaprabhu is speaking with Roy Ramananda in their Sambad, in their conversation, Mahaprabhu asked Ramananda, speak to me about Sadhya Sadhana, the truth about the goal and the process to attain it. 
the very first thing that Ramananda involves is Varnashram. And that's the very first thing that Mahaprabhu rejects. So, but Mahaprabhu is rejecting that, not in every single sense, but is rejecting that as the ultimate sadhya, as the ultimate goal. But it is, it is significant that that's the first thing that Ramananda mentions. Like implying, probably, we should address this conception of Barna Ashram, of, of being properly established, in order to uh, arrive to the ultimate goal as, 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 as Gaudias, basically. You know? We should engage, as I mentioned, Sangha Siddha Bhakti in the service of Sarup Siddha Bhakti. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, there is place for Barna Ashram in that context. There is place for Dharma, Artha, Kama, if you will, but also in the service of our ultimate goal. The Bhagavatam says, we shouldn't just pay attention to our body, mind, senses for their own sake, for enjoying them for their own sake, but in order to survive, to maintain our body alive. But also the question comes after, what to survive for, basically? And of course, the, this verse says, In order to inquire about tattva, Brahman Paramatma Bhagavan. That's that according to the Bhagavatam. So, and, 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 and I even will use another language. Instead of saying, satisfy my senses to survive, <laughs> I will say, instead, man, to keep balanced our emotional necessities, psychic necessities to survive. But survive for me is not just like Darwinian notion, you know, the survival of the fetus and something like that. But survive means basically balance, equilibrium, sattva. That's for me survival, because that's a real way of maintaining your life, sattva. And of course, as we know, sattva is not, it's, it's an important platform for a quantum leap to transcendence, but it's not the ultimate goal, it's to be transcended. If we get attached to sattva, that becomes rajas, because attachment immediately has to do with, with, with rajas. Mm-hmm. So sattva is important to arrive at but this balance that Barna Ashram promotes. The goal of Barna Ashram is basically sattva, create a lifestyle of sattva. But sattva in this connection for us as Godis is just arriving at the airport, if you will. But you have not entered into the plane and, 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 and directed to your particular destination. But we have to go to the airport first. So all this is implied into the notion of dealing with our humanity. And of course, I'm speaking in a general way because each case situation is specific and complex. Human life is complex. Human life is in itself an an existential crisis. We do not only have crisis as humans. Human life is an existential crisis, crisis unto itself. So in this meeting, we cannot, of course, address all the nuances of each individual case. But but if there is one... Uh, expression that I like to invoke in this connection as a possible solution to this is the concept of integration of complexity. Mm-hmm. And for me, it has this a lot to do with our lives as sadhakas, as practitioners, before becoming siddhas. First, you have to be a sadhaka, well integrated sadhaka, before you can even start about mm-hmm. siddhaness, if you will, entering that realm. Because sadhakas is an intermediate situation between being a bada jiva, conditioned soul, and a siddha, perfected being. So a sadhaka is in the midst of the two and trying to integrate whatever remains to be integrated. Humanity in the context of transcendence. So by doing this integration, of course, all this is in the context of sadhana. 
all this in the context of sadhaka. So, the, of course, the title of the lecture is how to address our material needs, but strictly speaking, if you are a sadhaka, there should be no material needs. Whatever needs you have as a sadhaka are playing themselves out in the context of your sadhana. And sadhana is bhakti, and bhakti is glorious, not material, basically. So, at least in terms of the ideal you are after, and how sincere you are trying to thread the path that takes you to that ideal, proportionally to that, there's nothing material in your life. Hmm? So, sadhaka means having a sadhaka body, sadhaka deha given by Sri Guru, and we are in the process of, in the in Christian language, transubstantiation of matter. Hmm? So the point is, ideally, we as sadhaka should, should, stop think, start, should start stop thinking in terms of material and spiritual. How do, well, how do I deal with my material life? Uh, you, you shouldn't have a material life any longer. You should conceive yourself as, I have a spiritual life, this is a spiritual project. If I myself choose to think in terms of material spiritual, I myself I invoke in this unhealthy dichotomy in my, in my sadhaka project. Mm-hmm. So, so, basically the best way for me to integrate these two, that still may remain as contradictory, material, spiritual and so on, is not necessarily start doing something different from what you are doing externally, or stopping doing what you are doing, whatever you may be doing, but... As Srila Maharaj once said, try to change your angle of vision. That's basically our business. Once one devotee approached him and asked, Guru Maharaj, can you give me a service? <laughs> and the devotee was thinking, well, here Guru Maharaj will ask me to wash the pots or whatever. And Srila Maharaj replied, giving him service for the rest of eternity. He said, change your angle of vision. That was the service he conferred upon him. Try to imagine. That's, that's real service. <laughs> Once I asked my Guru Mahārāj something similar, I asked, what can I do that I will please you the most? And he gave me a similar answer that committed me for eternity. He told me, try to increase your commitment with, with the ideal. That was his reply. So, of course, I, I didn't need to ask him any, anything else after that. No? So, change your angle of vision. Try to acquire more sambandha jñāna, more knowledge, that will show how everything is connected with Krishna, especially us, how everything has the potential to be connected. I mean, everything is connected, but we may not be seeing that. So, for, for nourishing our vision, we need to think that. No? Again, Guru is giving us that potential, the sadhaka deha, that vision, that new sense of identity. Hmm? This, this sadhaka body, this sense of identity, is a, a gift that do not belong to us. Hmm? That's a, an interesting concept. The Guru is giving this gift to us. You have this body of a practitioner... But it's not a gift you can own and claim. Now it's mine and I can do with that whatever I like. It's a gift that do not belong to you, does not belong to you, but you have to take full care of that. And we are to worship that. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, we are this body. I know that Srila Prabhupada said we are not this body, but he said we are not this body. <laughs> and the implications of that particular conception of what's the body. But if you think in terms of Sadhakadeha, I will say we are that body. Because eventually... The more you embrace that conception, that body will be fully spiritualized and we accompany you in Tiniti and So, the more we are integrated sadhakas, we will become eventually siddhas. All of which is connected to our goal in Raghavakti to follow the Rajavasis. But first, we have to become sadhakas. First, we have to go through the gate of Gaur Lila. And Gaur Lila is not only about book distribution and, and chanting 16 rounds per day, but integration of complexity in the context of chanting. Because chanting is not only lip service, 
but integration of complexity in the context of that. And how to chant, of course, we have third verse of Shastakam in this connection, which speaks to us about how to become what? Madhyam Bhaktas, progressive Vaishnavas. And being a Madhyam Sadaka in this context, which all of us should hopefully pray for, being a Madhyam Sadaka has all to do with progress. And progress has all to do with integration of complexity. Integration of com- complexity, by this I mean all the things that have not been yet integrated and sometimes may create some anxiety, fear or suffering for us. Another word for complexity may be necessary suffering, basically. I need to go through that particular experience in order for that to make that part of a higher equation, a higher synthesis. Hmm? So, for us, progress now as human sadakas, not as human siddhas in the Naralila yet, could mean this, integration of necessary suffering, if you will. <laughs> and what's that thing in us that gives us suffering? Again, it's a new level of human complexity that is begging for integration, that is begging for a higher synthesis. And by doing our homework, a higher level of harmony will be attained. And, and yet another higher level, till we reach Braj, till we reach our ultimate land, that place where everything is possible. Everything is properly integrated and accommodated. That's one of the names of the word Braj by Jiva Goswami. A land of love where everything moves in such a way that it's in- integrating everything on its path. So let's see Maharaj once say that, quoting the famous verse of Sri Rupa Goswami. He had a heavy Love moves in a crooked way like a snake. And he said, Why it moves in zigzag? Because along its movement, it's embracing everything on its way and then incorporating that and integrating that. It's not leaving anything behind. So that's a movement of love, all integrating, all encompassing. So, some ideas I want to share today. And uh, as a conclusion, just final thoughts, trying to make some full circle to what I presented. Again, this Raga mark we are trying to thread is pointing to the Nara Lila in Raj, the highest supreme ultimate Lila. And there in Braj we find humanity perfectly integrated. My Guru Maharaj calls that divine humanism. So if we are to attain that same status, and we are to attain basically the same status there, uh, if we want to, to live there forever, that's our goal. So we have to enter into integration of humi- humanity and divinity. Recently I was reading one, one book from Karen Armstrong called... Uh, the lost art of scripture, recovering our sacred text or something like that. And at one point she mentioned something in connection to this. She said, when we call a man a wolf, the wolf becomes more human and the man becomes more animal. And when we say that the human being is divine, we gain a new understanding of both humanity and divinity. We get a glimpse not only of what we can become as divine beings, but what divinity can become as human, if you will. We gain a new understanding of our ultimate potential hmm, as humans and divine beings, and also we gain a glimpse of the ultimate potential, if you will, of divinity, which expresses itself in the context of human-like pastimes, Nara Lila. Hmm. But again, for us to thread and embrace and arrive to this greatest ideal, we have to be truly uh, authentic, honest, Satam, Sadhu, that's what it means to be Sadhu. 
about who we are now, who we want and who we want to be. Equally honest about the two. These are the two ideas that we have been moving on today. We have to allow, interestingly, to allow ourselves to have our own experience, starting with our own humanity, in a path called Raganuga Bhakti, which Raganuga Bhakti is about that about following others' experience, following the footsteps of others, while at the same time being ourselves, remaining individuals. Anubhav means experience, but Anubhav means following Anudebhav of someone else without becoming automaton, basically. So that's a whole art. So, basically, if in this context I am not... If we are not allowing this, that's my ultimate caution, if you will, if we as Gaudiya Sadakas are not allowing this to happen, uh, we are not allowing our own humanity with all its nuance and imperfections, if we are not allowing that to happen in our life, most probably we are not allowing Krishna Lila to happen in our lives. We are not allowing Braja Krishna to exist, really exist in our life. We are not allowing them to be what they are. Hmm? with all the perfect imperfections and humanity and divinity included. And remember, we are to be included in such equation, for, as, as one God-sister of mine said, for the rest of forever. So basically, let's pay some close attention to some of these uh, possibilities and implications. So basically that, I want to share some words in connection to the topic of how to cultivate the Raghamar while authentically addressing our so-called material needs. So thank you so much for your invitation and I know that now there is place for a discussion that will take place so I'm pretty much looking forward to that as well. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai, Raga Marga Ki Jai, Shriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai. Can you, can you speak a little louder? I cannot fully understand what you are saying. Yes. Or maybe closer yes, to the I mic or something. Not so much. Let me try we put let me put let me try putting some headphone headphones. Let's see now. Yeah, it seems so. Okay, so I have a question regarding the first half of your presentation when you were like telling us about the importance of sort of you could say holding our humanity before our eyes and being able to really connect with our humanity as a gateway into Krishna's Rajanila because we are worshiping God with this place like divine meaningness. I just want to make sure I understood your point correctly. So what you're saying is when we embrace our humanity, we, when we understand our emotional drives the different relationships and situations of our life, that can actually be a gateway into understanding Krishna's needs and drives in the Brajavila, because again, it is the Naralila. And so how can we understand the Naralila of God if we're not able to understand our own humanness? And so our humanness can become a gateway into understanding. And then you were saying how we have to spiritualize his drives and needs so that we want to serve, like through the lens of 
service. We have to look at Krishna's needs and drives in Rajanila through the lens of service and in that way make that bridge between our humanness and Krishna's Raj pastimes. Did I understand you correctly? Was that the point you were making in the beginning of your presentation? Yes, basically if I am to, to reply in a very uh, <laughs> summarized way, the reply will be yes. Hmm? You perfectly understood the whole whole point. Of course I'm not saying with this, but just addressing your human uh, identities that's only giving you entrance to to Krishna Lila, but, but yeah, it's an important aspect. Because of course our humanity is not the same humanity that we find in, in, in the Braja Lila, but at the same time they are not totally opposite in every single sense of the term. Hmm. So so the, the more we are, and, and again, we are not trying to be humans in such a way that we become, amputate ourselves from bhakti. So it's in the context of a particular devotional culture hmm, that we are trying to become humans, and we are addressing our necessities not in a selfish way, again, but seeing how whatever necessities I feel I have, let's say, I don't know, a devotee may feel, I need to, for becoming emotionally whole, I need to have a partner, basically. So, I will try to have a partner so I can be a more whole human being, but the question, of course, is for what, what's the reason for, why do you want to be a more whole human being? And, of course, then comes the answer. So I can be a more uh, sustainable practitioner, if you will, in my Raga Nuga Bhakti project. So that's, we have that added question and answer at the end, because in this world some people may feel, I need a partner, or as I were, I remember I was speaking once with one person, he told me, well, I have to work, and I asked him, why do you have to work? To, to have some money, and why do, you have, why do you need money? Well, to maintain my family. And for, I felt that for him that was the, the last possible question and answer in that sequence. But then I asked him, and why do you want to maintain your family? And he was kind of shocked, you no, know, like in playing. What are you, where are you taking me, basically, he was saying. <laughs> and, I, and I say, of course, I had nothing against having a family and maintaining it, but the point is, there is a higher uh, purpose, if you will, converging point, even in the context of you maintaining your family. So in this way, of course, as transcendentalists, we have to have that ultimate converging point always clear in mind. And for us as Gaudias, needless to say, that has a lot to do with, yeah, with identifying. And this is a very high, of course, high, high topic. But to identify with the necessities of the Absolute. Of course, in the beginning, we may need first to, again, as I mentioned, to identify with our own necessities. Uh, in the context mm, of identifying gradually with the necessity of the Absolute, because the goal of our life is not at, at one point... In, in Golok Vrindavan, you won't be concerned about I need to balance my emotional side and so on. You will be 100% absorbed into how to balance the emotional side of, of Radha and Krishna, basically, in the Leela of Mahaprabhu, in his particular Leela. <laughs> but of course, those are another types of emotions, Bhava, Mahabhava. But the point is that what I mentioned, and I know this, this requires lots of unfolding, but briefly, we are worshipping a God that has deep necessities that come out of Prem. Not necessities out of non-Prem, but necessities out of Prem. Prem gives Atmaram, gives full satisfaction, but naturally the nature of Prem is ever-expanding, ever-full, and ever-expanding, uh, sorry, in the sense that it always can love more. 
basically. So it always creates new needs in that connection, and there comes the opportunities of service for us. So we are not worshiping Atmarama, God like Narayan in Vaikuntha, with all respect to, to the Aishvarya Bhaktas. But in, in Vaikuntha, there is not so much a need. Uh, the, the devotees in Vaikuntha are not feeling, oh, Narayan has a need. No, they are serving him because he should be served because he's God. They are Bhagavad they have Gyan. They are Gyanis in that sense. They are aware that he's God. But in Vrindavan, they are not serving in Nityanaudi, they are not serving Sriman Mahaprabhu, Sri Radhan, Krishna, Krishna Balaram and so on, because they should, they are God and so on, because they feel they have this particular need and I'm willing to give my life earth a billion times just to give the, the most small satisfaction in this particular need, which is so intense, so deep. But of course, again, this is a very high, very high conception of the divine. But it's our goal. That's what Raga Marga has to do with. Raga Marga is a very high thing, basically. So having that in mind, and this in, theor- in theory, we should address our particular needs at the present moment, which may sound much more relative, but in the context of getting closer and closer to that ideal, yeah. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you, Tomasi. I think Deva Prabhu is raising his hand. Hare Krishna, Maharaj. My pranams. Pranam Deva Madhava. My pleasure to meet you officially in Zoom now. Yeah, glad to have some pseudo face-to-face connection. Something um, like that, yeah. Maharaj, I was wondering if you could speak something. You've mentioned a few times Niti Navadri and hmm. uh, the idea of having a Sarupan Lila. And the, of course, there's kind of colloquial statements about this that we've heard Acharyas make, but I haven't seen much specific description about the relationship between our eternal place in Lila and our eternal place in Raj. Um, Narottam Das says if we dive deep in the Lila of Gora, then we come up in Raj. And you're seeming to indicate that that's not necessarily preaching. So I just was hoping you could elaborate on that. Okay. I saw Tamal Krishna smiling when he heard this question. I don't know why. <laughs> just an internal joke there with another Gorlila fan, if you will. Well, actually, yeah, that's a big topic. Such a big topic that I, I have felt the necessity to write the whole book about that. So after, whenever I, I may finish the one I'm writing, if that happens at any moment. <laughs> because it, does, it doesn't seem to be happening. So many things are still coming. But after that, the idea is to, to try try to write something in, in the, about the possibility of, of the Nitya Navadri, the lotus inside the lotus, basically, of, of Golok. So, as you properly said, Deva Madhava, interestingly enough, uh, of course, this is a generally uh, accepted possibility in our Gaudiya Sampradaya. There are some brief groups, or one group, one part of one group only, I will say that mostly are not willing to accept this possibility. And some others who may accept in theory but may not be attracted in that direction. And of course, some others that are attracted in that direction on an equal level than Krishna Lila and others that are more attracted in that direction even. Bhaktinath Thakur makes this point in his Bhavataranga. So interestingly, our, in our Mula Grantas, or original Shastra in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, the, our Shastra Gurus, the Goswamis, they do not overtly speak about Nitya Navadvip because they were really concerned about establishing the foundations of the Sampradaya in terms of what Mahaprabhu was tasting and came to give, 
And uh, as my Guru Maharaj said, and I consider that a very interesting insight, he said, the Goswamis did not speak about Gaur Lila, almost. Here and there are some astakams, some glorifications, some descriptions, some rest description, but not in detail like, for example, Krishna Das, Kaviraj Goswami did and so on. They spoke about Radha Krishna Lila mostly, but they spoke about Radha Krishna Lila in such a way that if you pay close attention, you will end up asking yourself, where is Gaur Lila? They, they spoke about Radha Krishna Lila in such a way that they take you in, in, a, in an instinctive way to the natural conclusion organically, there must be a Mahaprabhu. And you will start to look for that Mahaprabhu. No? <laughs> so they spoke about Mahaprabhu in that way, indirectly. Some Parokshabad was there. But again, they were mostly engaged in, in a particular direction and of course some other uh, saddle from after that generation and the next one, Dhyanam Chandra Goswami, Gopal Guru Goswami, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, Vishwanath many others, gradually started to unfold the possibility of, of a Nityan Avadu. And again, even if the Goswami never spoke about that, as, as, and I, and as I have one dear friend, uh, Purvapakshin in this connection, I have many dear friends who are Purvapakshin in my life, <laughs> and he told me, well, the Goswami never said that, and I say, okay, but the Goswami said, for example, different things that if you put them together, you will conclude it's possible. For example, they say, every avatar of Bhagavan has its corresponding abode in the spiritual world. So on one side you have that, the Goswami said that many times. And on another, Lagu Bhagavatam, On another side they say, what? Mahaprabhu is an avatar. Of course he's an avatar but he can consider avatar, go avatar. So if he's an avatar, and if every avatar has its corresponding abode in Vaikuntha, in the spiritual world, you put the two of them together and you find, okay, there you have it. And there are many statements in Chaitanya Bhagavat, Chaitanya Charitamrita, to this effect as well. So, yes, there is a possibility of Nityanavati, but as you mentioned also, of course, the, the conversation may be in, go in different direction, but you mentioned this point of, or, or what I mentioned, that Gorlila is not only about book distribution, if you will, or, or, or preaching, that sometimes the devotees may conceive that here as that's to participate if the move, in the movement of Sri Chaitanya, to go to... And I'm not saying that's not part of that, of course it is. No, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying that possibility. But um, sometimes we project that, but the point is, it's more in terms of preaching, and it's okay. But the point is, when you arrive to Nityanavadvip, who will you preach to, basically? There is nobody that needs to know about Mahaprabhu and you need to give some prasad and present we are not this body, karma reincarnation and whatever. <laughs> All of them are totally drenched into gold bhav, gold prem. So there is no need for preaching basically there. And this hints at a very important point which may be connected at some point which is preaching is not the goal of life basically. Once I remember this situation when Srila Prabhupada was with one devotee and a devotee told uh, uh, Prabhupada, I want to open a temple. And Prabhupada said, where? In Radha Kunda. And Prabhupada looked at him and said, uh, why do you want to open a temple in Radha Kunda? And the devotee with all his naivete, he said, for preaching Prabhupada. <laughs> that was the official reply to that question. And Prabhupada said, no, no, Radha Kunda is not a place for ordinary things like preaching, he said. <laughs> and the devotee was like, 
Of course, he was not saying preaching is ordinary, but he was saying if you compare with what's really going on in Radhakon, I mean, preaching is no longer there, basically. No, there's another type of preaching, if you want to put it in terms of the lila, no? and, 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 and some canvassing between the manjaris and Radha, trying to get, get Krishna inside the kunj again, and this type of messages coming and go. This will be the, the, the prachar, if you will, if you want to speak of preaching there. But in, ter- in terms of the other type of preaching as we conceive it here, that's not present in Nityanavati. Basically, the eternal dynamic of Nityanavati, and there are these Astakaliya Lila descriptions about what's going on there, are, are mostly about joining Mahaprabhu in his daily pastimes, most of which have their respective parallel with what's, what's going on in the Krishna Lila, how Sriman Mahaprabhu gets absorbed hmm, in Bhavavish correspondingly with each particular Lila and all of, all of the associates there according to their Bhava and Krishna Lila will enter there and Sarup Damodar is performing corresponding Kirtan it's a very beautiful prospect actually once someone told me my, to my Guru Maharaj Guru Maharaj I think that Gaur Lila doesn't sound like a, that exciting like Krishna Lila this Krishna Lila has all these intrigues and romances and messages and and clandestine meetings, but Gaur Lila doesn't seem that exciting. But my Guru Maharaj laughed, no? because actually he's really into Gaur Lila also. And he basically said, I mean, try to imagine this, in Gaur Lila, and for example in Shastra you find this type of statements, if you just, Lava Matra Sadhu Sangha Sarva Siddhi if you associate with the Sadhu for a nanosecond, you experience all perfection immediately. So those type of statements play themselves out fully in Nityanavadi every, at every single moment. Whenever every devotee meets for a second, all the symptoms that Shastra described happen con- continuously. Or the Shastra says, if you chant the name once, half a syllable, you pass out, if you that do properly. So that happens in Nityanavadi. Everyone is chanting and passing out at every moment. So is that, is that not exciting enough? <laughs> what to do? No, I'll pray for your case, but the point is for me it's exciting enough. No? So, so yeah, this is the, the nice thing. Prabodhananda Saraswati will say, Yatayata Gaura Padaya Vindam Mindeta Bhaktim Krita Punya Rasi Tatat Sarpati Hidya Kashmat Radhapadam Boja Sudhamburasi The more you immerse yourself in Gaur Lila, you emerge in Krishna Lila at the service of Radha, basically the feet of Radha. But Sarvabhoma Vatacharya, in one of his compositions, he says the opposite thing. The more you immerse yourself into Krishna Lila, you emerge into Gaur Lila. No? So this is the ups and downs. My Guru Maharaj compares this to a reversible jacket. No? He says, Gaur Lila and Krishna Lila, it's like a jacket that is black, but with golden sleeves, and on the other side is golden with black sleeves. <laughs> so it's the same Lila, actually, but there are two emotional mm, uh, windows, if you will, or moments of that same Lila. Now the Braj, Krishna Lila, Gaur Lila. With particular emphasis on, on, on proportions of Madhurya and Odarya and so on. Mm-hmm. So, some ideas, just like a little trailer of hopefully the book that may come at some point. Mm-hmm. But we have even made some series of lectures, I remember last year, about the detailed description of the Astakaliya Lila of Mahaprabhu. If you are interested in delving more in detail, I can share with you some, some of those links. We are spending one class for each one of the eight parts of the day and also some introduction as to why 
why Igor Lila? Why Nitya Navadip? And so, for those who will like, please send me them in some private message or something. I share the links. Thank you, Maharaj. We'll share them to the group. I'm sure everyone would appreciate. Thank you. Beautiful. Nitya Navadip ki jai. Bakunda's got something. Thank you. Um, well, I hope that I also understood the class properly. I think I'll have to go back and listen, but you were explaining nicely how the humanity, like our humanity is required to understand and approach the pastimes of Krishna and Vrindavan. And I was, I was just kind of thinking about how, especially, I mean, I understand that it's not necessarily that the path of Vaidhi Bhakti leads into the path path of Raghunuga Bhakti, they're kind of more of a parallel and you kind of switch from one to the other. But uh, we we tend to follow a path of Vaidhi, which is, I guess if I were to summarize it, it kind of makes us a little bit less human. Like this whole aspect of mind control, sense control, um, kind of making us a little robotic in a sense. So I was just wondering if you could speak to how making ourselves more robotic will eventually lead to us becoming less robotic, kind of, you know, how can we follow a path of Vaibhi, which is making us in a way less human, but then hope to become more transcendentally human at the end of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point because, yes, yesterday one devotee was asking me in one Spanish lecture we're giving, he was saying, how to be a sincere sadhaka without engaging in imitation. So I told him, actually, it's not that necessarily one thing will exclude the other. In the beginning, you may be a sincere sadhaka and you may be imitating. And that will happen. Like you are a baby, you are imitating whatever everyone is doing. And it's not that you are not sincere because you are doing that. <laughs> it's part of just the stage you are in. So there is a place for healthy imitation, if you will. So in the beginning of the practice, we, we, we may be imitating sadhana bhakti. Maybe this is too much what I will say, but in one way sadhana bhakti is a form of imitation. It's not the real thing yet. In the sense of sadhana bhakti is like preparing the ground. It's like rehearsal of real bhakti. That we will speak bhakti proper, bhava bhakti, prem bhakti. In the sense... The, the Goswami said this in the commentary, the, their explanation of sadhana bhakti, kriti sadhya bhavit sadhya and so on. They say, sadhana bhakti is like the preliminary actions that one takes before starting the yajna. You have to go to the market and buy the wood, the ghee, get all the stuff that are not strictly the yajna, but at the same time they are part of the yajna. They are creating the proper, preparing the detail for that to happen, for the fire to appear. <laughs> So sadhana bhakti is something like that. Still, real emotional bhakti has not come fully, but we are in the process of preparing the, the temple for that to happen, if you will, for the deity to be installed in our hearts. So there is a place in the beginning of our practice to be a little robotic. I will say that also not to go neurotic, because we cannot expect full spontaneity from day one. I mean, we have full spontaneity, but not in the direction of... So the Surup Shakti, unfortunately. So, so and we, we have to somehow filter that. And, and in that sense, certain things may sound a little bit like forced. 
But that force, force stuff shouldn't be that force, should be nourished by proper intellect. Like for example, I'm having some drive towards something that I know it's not healthy, so I can tolerate that drive and, and dovetail that impulse in some other direction if I understand what's going on and why, what should I be doing and, and understand why this is happening, the opposite is happening. So it still is there's some forcing thing, everything is not flowing uh, uninterruptedly. But eventually, gradually, I will say that something that will protect us from not becoming too much robotic in those forced moments, if you will, <laughs> will be basically to pay attention to our humanity also. Because again, to control the mind and the senses doesn't mean to repress, doesn't mean that, I mean, to do something that is not normal for me, it's not sustainable. Hmm? That's not to control your mind and senses, it's, that may be to end up in the madhouse sometime, in the name of controlling mind and senses. For example, if you are not ready to practice brahmacharya, and you force yourself to do that, you may be doing that externally, but internally, I mean, I don't know what, what's happening there, basically. No? So, and, and, and what will be the end result of that? So, to give an example, no? a classical example like, like, like that one, no? if someone is, I don't know, I remember once in Argentina, I met one guy, and he, I was with another sannyasi, so imagine two weird fellows in saffron, and young sannyasis and so on. And this guy was, well, neighbor of us. And he asked us, what's the meaning of that cloth? And I knew him, so I knew where, where his question was pointing and converging at. So I said, we are monastics. And he said, what? So to be among means you don't have sex. Basically, that was his question. And I said, well, it's not only that, but that's like some <laughs> secondary byproduct of that, I will say, because it's not like some main thing for me at least. Uh, so he started like, to, then came the real inquiry. So, so how long it is that you are not having sex, he started to ask. He was already overwhelmed at this point, but that was just the beginning. <laughs> because after that our reply was 25 years, no? never had sex in my life, things like that. <laughs> So this guy was totally going crazy. I, I saw him and he was trying to look some reference in the Google of his mind about the possibilities such as the one he had in front of his face. He was not finding, Google was saying no results, no results available, no results. So he was sweating and he stopped speaking for like some minutes and then he looked back at us and said, if I, hadn't, if I cannot have sex one day with my girlfriend, I need to go with the prostitute. I can pass one single day without having sex. So the point is he realized I have a problem. Of course we were another extreme weird case, <laughs> but he was extreme one as well. So of course to a person like that I won't tell him try to become brahmachari, try to only have sex for procreation, not even once a week. I may tell him try to do it once every two days. Let's begin somewhere in a sustainable point. <laughs> Of course, to other person, I may say something different. So my point is, in the context of controlling our mind, controlling our impulses, we also have to, to add a, a really sustainable dose of humanity and, and re realism. Where I'm at now, what can I do now, how can I improve a little bit tomorrow and a little bit tomorrow. And I think that will prevent us from becoming really robotic and cold-hearted and automaton. 
And if in the context of that, gradually we continue our Sravan and Kirtan of Raga Sadhana, eventually all the things will be properly accommodated more and more. It may take some time, but no rush. So I hope that helps. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mark. I think Harishan had a comment on this. Yeah, Harishan had a comment on this question and answer, mm. and Tamir has a question. Harisham, do you want to say something? Yep, sorry about that. Um, Mars, thank you for that answer. It was so deep. And when you were speaking, it just made me think about the opening verses to Sri Rupa Goswami's Nekram instruction, which is such a wonderful manual from Sadhana. And I was thinking, oh, what does it mean to be abiding bhakta, right? It could mean just mechanically trying to control our mind and senses. But a real good abiding <clears throat> bhakta is going to practice things like, you know, revealing one's heart, mind, and confidence to, to other devotees giving and receiving gifts, cooking and offering shalom, which, you know, that requires inviting people to your house, being human enough that people are happy to come to your house, and then hosting them nicely. So just, you know, the, the, the process of being a nice Vaidhi Bhakta would infuse so much authenticity and humanity in one's life. It would be hard to be artificially, it would be hard to be artificial and be a good Vaidhi Bhakta at the same time, it seems like. It seems like Vaidhi Bhakta principles are already viewed with so much emphasis on becoming human and authentic in our, in our, in our progress. I was just, when you were speaking, it, 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 that became clear for me as I was reflecting on Shri Swami's opening verses to Upadesh So thank you so much for your answer. Thank you. And I will add with that one minute with your permission that, that I forgot to mention, but in the concept of speaking in terms of being a Vaidhi Bhakta or a Raga Bhakta, actually, strictly speaking, we are Raga Nuga Bhaktas. Of course, we may not have that Raga yet. And in that context, some of our Acharyas may have spoken in terms of Vaidhi, but actually, with our Acharyas spoke of terms of Bhaidi, like Bhaktinathakur, Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, actually, what they were pointing to was this notion that Jiva Goswami calls Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti, which means early stages of Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti, where you are not burning with lova, if you will, <laughs> but at the same time, you are already put in context, if you will. You belong to a particular lineage which points to a particular goal that will be attained only through the sadhana called Raganuga. So, basically, you are a Raghavakta, at least nominally, officially, even though still our inner reality may be diluted in many directions. But in a generous way, our Acharyas have termed us, you are engaged in Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Sadhana. <clears throat> Which means, again, I may not have the greatest taste for Vrindavan Bhakti, but still, I can be a devotee, and yes, I have to regulate and, 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 and harmonize so many things in my humanity. <clears throat> but all that is being done in the context of belonging to a lineage, to being under the shelter of someone who has a feeling for Vrindavan, who has a feeling for Nityanabhadu. And therefore, I, I'm, I, I'm, I have faith and hope that by honestly being under their shelter and receiving Bhaktisam scars, that will further and further put some wood into the fire and make this passion, raga, nuga, become real, more real in my life. So in that sense, I will choose to be careful not to overemphasize too much the term Baidi or identifying yourself as a Baidi Bhakta without understanding how that plays out as a Raga Bhakta. <clears throat> Okay, it seems that the electricity went off, India, what to do? <laughs> so, 
we will finish here today our lecture. Thank you so much to all for your invitations and presence and hope to see you very soon. Sri Lagurudev Ki Jai, Sri Man Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Adinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Sri Jagannath Puridham Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrindha Ki Jai, Gaur Pramanda Haribo. <laughs>